Coming to you from Northern California. Uh, negative K, nothing further. Just, uh... This is the Shots Fired Podcast. With your hosts, Sergeant Kyle Schoberg, retired police officer Mark Redlich, and Deputy Billy. We are America's leading law enforcement resource for training and tactics from experts in the industry. Here are your hosts. Ladies and gentlemen, it is both an honor and a privilege to welcome our next guest to the show. We have in studio with us Morgan Geyer, the Placer County District Attorney who has 23 years of experience and an awesome show for us to cover today. Uh, Morgan, go ahead and introduce yourself for us real quick and uh, how'd you get here? Absolutely. My name is Morgan Geyer. I'm the Placer County DA. I've been a uh, prosecutor for 23 years uh, and I've been a prosecutor that whole time in in the courtrooms, trying cases, holding bad guys accountable. That's all I've ever done, all I've ever wanted to do. I started in uh, Placer County as a law clerk, worked for uh, five years in Riverside County, California, uh, then the last 15 in Sacramento County, and then the last two and a half, I was appointed in April of 2022 as the district attorney following the retirement of the elected DA, and then in June of 2022, I was elected to serve a four-year term to continue my job as the DA of Placer County. And it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank Thank you you. so much for coming in and and taking time out of your day to do this. My pleasure. We really do appreciate it. And and all the listeners out there, I think uh, they're going to get a lot out of this. Yeah. What are we going to cover, Mark? Well, thanks for being here also. Of course. uh, We're really excited. Ultimately, we are looking forward to you talking about really what the role is of your job as being a district attorney. A lot of people don't know what the district attorney does. So we're looking forward to you kind of explaining what that is and then transitioning into really the use of force. And that's more of the educational piece for cops out there kind of across the country. And that goes more into how do we improve and how do cops really get better at their job? And it's really about like articulation. And we covered some of that and I know you'll get into that. And then we're looking forward to the end of this is when you break down one or two really interesting cases that you've had involvement with both Placer County and Sacramento County. That's what we're really excited. Absolutely. About. Fun stuff to talk about. Yeah. yeah so sure. thanks. And then uh, we'd like to give a few shout outs as always. Um, first of all, we got, you know, 1097 coffee. Uh, they helped us out. They gave us some good stuff here and coffee's yeah. great. Thank you. Try it. Um, hooked us up with some mugs and stuff. That's yeah, nice. yeah, we got some new yeah. mugs, new loot. You know, you got to appreciate that. Yeah, and then we want to give a big shout out to Fit for Duty Foundation um, run by TJ Webb. We had TJ on the show, episode six, I believe. Um, you can go check out his episode. Back if when you guys... we were still learning what to do. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, seriously, go listen to his episode. You guys can hear his story. He was shot several times in the line of duty, has now started this Fit for Duty Foundation. And if you guys want to hop on their website, fitfordutyfoundation.org, fill out an application. They will screen the application and they are covering the first three months of your CrossFit gym memberships. And then thereafter that, going to try to cover the charge afterward and then work with the gyms and try to get you a discounted rate. So they're doing good things. It's it's for mental health as well as physical fitness. Fitfordutyfoundation.org. Go check it out. Fill out the application and hopefully you can get your gym memberships paid for. So that's awesome. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, And those are two of the biggest things in, in law enforcement to keep you continuing Absolutely. the job. That's and, right. you know, I think the fitness and the mental health, they, 
they definitely cross over and they're, they're one and the same in a lot. hundred percent. Yeah. So thank you, TJ and send us some cool hats that we got shown off here. So go check them out. It appears there's an extra one too. So. There is. Might be going on. The Might G- reduce the glare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Morgan question for you, Kyle, do you want to ask? Fire away. No, go ahead. Go ahead with the icebreaker question. All right. It's the same one we always do. Nice. And I don't know the question ahead of time, so fire away. All right. You can act like that. We know you do. If you were a superhero, what superhero would you be? And why? Yes. Uh, Litigator man. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's a boring one. Yeah. Nobody watches that movie. Yeah. John John Favreau doesn't direct that one. There's only about three issues in the comic book. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I, uh, in in a cheesy way, I'm a swimmer and I love being in the water. So totally Aquaman because I am, uh, I I tried other sports. Sports, I'm much stronger in the water. So to nice. being able to like command whales to do stuff for you, that, that seems like that'd be my, that'd nice. be my gig. Right Billy on. always used to talk about wanting to be a murd boy. So. Oh, nice. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Not a merd man, a merd boy. Yeah, merd boy. <laughs> Very cool. I'm trying to keep my youth. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into this. We got some cool topics to, to discuss. So we already uh, mentioned it, but what is the role of a district attorney? And I think you guys are absolutely right. The, the role of the DA, other than people saying, I don't want to meet, ever meet you in a professional capacity. <laughs> yeah. They don't know a lot of what the DA does unless you get jury duty. Um, we are the prosecutor. So we are primarily responsible for reviewing investigations that law enforcement conducts, determining whether or not we should or shouldn't file charges. If we file charges, we're responsible for basically navigating that case through the entire criminal justice process from arraignment where someone's told what they're charged with, arguing whether or not they should stay in or out of jail based on what the bail amount ought to be. And then really the meat of our job is prosecuting the case through jury trial and through sentencing. And really, if we are convinced someone committed a crime, holding them responsible and giving victims, I never say closure because there's no such thing as closure, for, especially for people who've been victims of violent crime or loved ones who've had loved, uh, relatives and loved ones that have been murdered, um, but providing some sense of justice uh, and an ability to move on knowing that someone hopefully was held accountable. Um, so that's that's our bread and butter. Really, the rest of our job is to help educate the public as to sort of what the criminal justice system is all about, to improve trust amongst our law enforcement partners, um, and to really help the community understand that the men and women who make up our criminal justice system, from the, from the law enforcement officers on the street to the prosecutors in court, people do this job not because of the money they do it because we care because we want to make our communities better and we want to love where we live, work and raise our family. And then, you know, coming from the investigator side, I think that for you investigators out there, make sure that you, you do keep your DA's office involved in your investigations. I, I know that there's um, some jurisdictions in some areas where they, they don't work with the DA's office as much. Um, but, you know, for us, I, you know, I write a warrant before it goes to a judge, it goes to a DA and they go, no, you should fix this, 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 this. <laughs> so, and, and they're there to help and they're, they're telling you to fix that. Not because, you know, they want to tell you that you're an idiot. It's because they know, they know a whole different side of it mm. than you do. So, uh, yeah, DA, DAs and law enforcement should work hand in hand. They should have a close relationship. I teach a class on how to improve courtroom testimony and investigations. And the first thing I say is communication usually solves most of the problems. Um, you, there should never be a, a law enforcement officer getting on the witness stand that hasn't had at least an email from the DA ahead of time saying, here's what we're going to cover. Right. Here's what I expect of you. Here's what you should expect of me. Um, there are all sorts of those issues that can be worked out by just having a quick conversation. Um, unfortunately, the DA's offices, since it's an elected position, kind of like sheriff's, 
sometimes politics gets involved and you have different philosophies of yep. people who lead those offices, but the rank and file should always have an open line of communication because at the end of the day, we're on the same team. Yeah, I'm, uh, And we're trying to get the ball across the goal line and hold somebody accountable. I've literally woken up deputy DAs in the middle of the night. I'm talking 3 a.m. And, and as said, a deputy hey, DA that has that, I love it. Yeah. Like that's, that's why we do this job so yeah. that we can help work together and solve those problems. So be friendly with them too, because- you know, they're not all going to call them in the middle of the night, <laughs> <laughs> you know, give them some time and stuff like that too. But um, yeah. And one, I, one of the interesting things that you've done at Posture County since you've been there is really start the communication with the community by doing outreach. And we, the Shots Fired podcast has actually sponsored some community events and your district attorney office has been there supporting that as well. And I think that's commendable because a lot of places don't have those resources or, or that's not a priority. And that is one of yours. Well, I, I appreciate that because that is a huge priority. And I think it, it ultimately helps build trust in the community. If there are lots of things in law enforcement, we can't talk about, we can't talk about the ins and outs mm -hmm. of pending investigations. So oftentimes it's left to the newspapers and the narratives. And oftentimes that's not accurate. So at least if people know who the people are that are making these decisions and doing things, they'll have more trust in it. And you only you only get that trust by talking to us, by meeting us, seeing us at events. Mm -hmm. So we do things like citizens academies. We do things like high school academies where we bring high schoolers in to learn kind of what cops do, what DAs do, what judges do. Give them a whole kind of tour of the criminal justice system because they're the ones going to be making decisions here in the near future. And they need to understand and have trust in law enforcement and the criminal justice system. So that outreach I think is critical and it also serves the purpose of reducing crime on the front end. Like the more people know about it, the more better decisions are made, the more parents and kids hopefully talk and the less crime we have and the less cases we all have to deal with. Yeah, I think one of the probably the biggest complaints that either cops have or uh, citizens have of the communities are, you know, some DAs uh, in, you know, uh, that are more uh, political, um, and make it more challenging to, to work with. And they're not prosecuting, you know, some of these offenders and yep. they're being let out of jail. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest frustrations in, in law enforcement right now. Um, you know, and, and you've yeah. seen cases like San Francisco and Los Angeles, you've seen high profile DA races that right. become about policies and politics. And the worst word you can ever call me is politician. Like <laughs> I can't stand the P word. I'm a trial lawyer. I happen to have come into the position of an elected DA, but I've been a career prosecutor and that's all I've wanted to do. And those that do the job for careers, I mean, we see this as a, as a vocation, as a calling. Like we do this because we care about doing the right thing. I mean, that's the mission of a DA's office is do the right thing. Sometimes that means we don't file charges. Sometimes it means, Hey, we figured out somebody else did it and we got to let somebody out of jail. That's, that's just as important role of our job mm -hmm. is finding the truth. Um, that's what makes the job so interesting. And, and we get to work with our law enforcement partners to do it. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes those politics get infused into a DA's office and that they do not belong there at all. Yeah. And I just, I think the unfortunate part when that happens is it alters the way that cops do business. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I would personally say, you know, if you do work for a, uh, a DA that maybe has those policies is you still have to go out there and just do your job and, and do it correctly. And at the end of the day, that stuff is out of your hands and, right. you know, you still have a job to do in a community to work for. So I think that's, that's the problem that obviously we're seeing at least in California. And, I, and I'm sure it's, you, we know that it's in other States as well. So uh, we're fortunate here that we don't, we don't have that problem where we're working, but um, you know, other people do. So that's, that's challenging. It, it is. And understand the case isn't always as black and white as no. the media puts it. So if, if files aren't, or charges aren't filed, it's, uh, it's not necessarily that, you know, they didn't want to or whatever. It's that you couldn't. 
Right. And, and fundamentally every arrest doesn't always result in a case. There's a different legal standard. The, the, the standard to arrest is much less than the standard to convict at trial. There are a lot of factors that go in. And that's one of the things that's largely misunderstood at the DA's office is how come when this guy's arrested, if it's that case, the charges aren't filed, why not? And to the degree that we can talk about those things, DAs, I think, have an obligation to make an effort to educate the community. Here's Mm -hmm. why cases don't get filed. Here's why, you know, you arrest 10 people, six out of those 10 will have charges filed because sometimes we can't prove that extra hurdle beyond a reasonable doubt. Sometimes we know what happened. Those are the the toughest conversations I've ever had as a prosecutor, particularly in like sex crimes or when we know something happened and we can't prove it. And mm-hmm. we've got to sit down with victims and say, here's why we can't go forward. And those are, those are heartbreaking. Um, but, you know, for every one of those, we've got ones where, you know, we get the ball across the goal line and we we hold people accountable. Yeah. I think the hardest thing for citizens that aren't involved in what we do is accepting, um, not being able to prove something in court beyond a reasonable doubt. And that is your guys's job, right? That's not, that's not our job at the time when we're making the arrest, your guys's job is to prove beyond a reasonable doubt if we can or cannot, you know, do that in court. And a lot of people don't understand that. Um, That's absolutely right. And that's, that is our job. We're the advocates. You, you guys are the investigators, you build the case mm -hmm. and we, we get it in front of the jury. And that's one of the things jumping a little bit ahead to how, how law enforcement officers improve. Don't be the advocate. Let us do that. You guys wear the white hat, you follow the truth and we're the ones who argue what it should or shouldn't be to the jury. Um, And, and most of the time, if we all do our jobs the right way, most of the time, justice usually prevails despite the narratives, despite a lot of the headlines Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we're all pretty good at what we do to get justice done. Yeah, no, no doubt. So tough job. I mean, it's a super hard job that you guys have. Yeah. Should we, should we shift gears and really get into what you can provide based on use of force, what's happening in California. I think Kyle, you want to talk about it because you, you've yeah. really lined so it out pretty good. We, we talked about it briefly before the show, but you know, obviously this podcast is centered around education and how to make people better and, and educating even citizens and community members and being transparent in, in our profession. And obviously a huge topic right now is use of force here in California. We, you know, we drafted a new law under 835A, the penal code. And I understand that means nothing to some of you out there who don't work in California. Um, however, I think if you read the California Penal Code 835A, your laws in other states are starting to adopt our laws here in California. Right. And that's more of a restrictive um, laws on uses of force. And I think what we're seeing, at least here in California, and I know it's happening in other states, is some cops are being prosecuted. They're being arrested for, you know, whether it's a lethal encounter or or a bad use of force where it wasn't lethal encounter. Um as as the DA, uh, what would your message be on on for cops out there to at least um, articulating these things in reports, whether you're giving a verbal statement, you're writing a written report, um, articulating decisions that you're making out in the field are more crucial now than they ever have been before, even with body cams. Right. And we think that, well, body cams are going to paint the picture and that's not necessarily true. You still have to be able to articulate why you did what you did. And it's in, it's in law now. We have to do that. So what would your message be to police officers out there to better help themselves, uh, either A, make better decisions or B, um, you know, how to be more articulate in the decisions that they do make? Yeah. And that you're absolutely right. There has been no other point in history where 
the actions of law enforcement. Split second decisions of law enforcement are under more scrutiny than they are now. Almost to the point in some areas where it's presumed you do something wrong until you prove that you do something right. Um, and that's not the way it should be. But in California, things like what is reasonable that applies to a normal average citizen, mm-hmm. uh, increasing the requirements on law enforcement to like what is necessary, right? Mm-hmm. That's a big jump from is what I did reasonable to is what I did necessary, because that automatically includes a whole lot of other things that you should have considered in the meantime. And that seems to be the trend nationwide is yeah. imposing what mental hurdles you should go through before you ultimately make that split second decision. And really what it comes down to is never should a police officer hesitate to do what they know to be the right thing in a situation because they're worried that they might get sued or get prosecuted. And my biggest fear is when I talk to talk to officers at briefings is that they do that. They let this new legal hurdle stop them from doing something and they end up getting killed or Someone else gets killed as a result of it. Mm. Really what it comes down to, I think, is the need to articulate what is clearly going on in your head, but maybe never was articulated in as much detail before. So things like, okay, someone reaches into their waistband and I obviously have no time to react other than after someone has refused commands to draw a weapon and escalate this to deadly force because your life is is in danger. There are a series of things you necessarily go through in order to get that, that you never really probably articulated before. Like, okay, well, I obviously don't have time to go to my taser. I don't have time to go to my baton. I can't seek cover because this situation is occurring in a split second. All of those things are going on in your mind, Mm -hmm. but you may not have articulated that in that much detail in your report or in your subsequent interview. And those are the kind of details that you need to articulate things that are legitimately being considered, but they're being done so fast and they are done with such reflex based on your training that you may not think to articulate. And I think that's really what has changed is the need to articulate all of the things that occurred up to the point that you ultimately made that decision. And they may not be on the front of your consciousness at the time that you're required to to think about it. And it's just a new way of thinking about it. All right. I clearly needed to engage in this, 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 this at the time that I ultimately made this decision. It just takes a little bit more reflection and articulation and ultimately doing the right thing is doing the right thing, no matter what the law is. Mm -hmm. Like you have to make that decision. It's just under more scrutiny, which means the need to articulate that in reports and in interviews is that much greater now. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you talk about like, making a decision. Okay. So now we all have to consider what resources, what resources do we have available to us at that time? And do we have to be in that uh, certain circumstance right now, right there? Uh, If you have the availability to wait, we've talked about this a a ton of times on prior episodes, Uh, you know, wait for your resources, come up with a game plan, do all those things um, so that, you know, you can check all those boxes and and make a good uh, concise decision before doing something. So, uh, it's not just about, you know, the articulation thing is now is like, you have to use your resources available to you. Um, and you have to articulate that. Right. And I think to the degree that you can in those situations that allow for it, you have to think, is there a way we can prevent it from getting to that final point? Mm -hmm. Is there something we can do to either slow it down or as you said, engage those resources so that we can maybe prevent and I mean, it's easy for me to say my job is to armchair quarterback a lot of these situations. And I fully appreciate that that's 
what I have to do. I'm not making those calls at the time. Sure. You guys have to. But to the degree that you can slow it down and say, okay, how do we approach this situation? And, you know, you see these videos all the time of, you know, people who are clearly experiencing mental breakdowns and frontline law enforcement is expected to handle that situation, right? You're supposed to be a social worker. You're supposed to be a mental health provider. You're supposed to be the security. You're supposed to handle it all, even though this is a very dynamic situation. So the degree that you can engage those resources and just try and think it through ahead of time. You might be able to prevent those encounters on the back end that ultimately turn deadly one way or the other. Again, I fully acknowledge I'm armchair quarterbacking that, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but you wanted my advice. I got to give it. So, and I think that before all that happens, obviously you need to educate yourself and you need to know your resources. Yeah. For and sure. you also need to, if in California, if you are not very intimate with 835A and you're, of course you're, your department's policy because that can be more that's strenuous. something to factor in as well. Yeah, it's more strenuous or more more restricting. Restricting. I yeah, I don't know what the right word for is, but um, you know, you need to know that stuff. And and I have gone as far as in report writing, almost you know, quoting like I did this because of this because I know it. And you know, then the, the, then that's kind of leaving that question out there. Uh, right. It's removing that question that yeah. you know, hey, th- why did you do that? Well. Because of, you know, state law and department policy. Yeah. The time to, to try to uh, figure out what your law and policy is, is not after the fact while you're <laughs> writing your report or giving a statement. It should be well before that, Yeah, which is why we're giving you this. And I don't want people to mistake that, oh, well, these guys live in California or these guys work in California. And so this only applies to them. No, that is not true. Uh, again, I'll say it. A lot of your states are adopting the California laws in the way that we are um you know, writing our use of force policies right. in law, like a lot of states are going to that. And so um, articulate what you're doing and why you're making the decision that you're making. Um, those are all things that we should be doing anyways. Yeah. Right. And we're, we're, all we're doing is figuring out how to articulate better what ultimately most in the vast majority of the time are good decisions on the part of law enforcement who are asked to make split second decisions. Yes. And it's just a matter of explaining that in a way that unfortunately now the public demands to be more articulated than it has been mm-hmm. before. But really it's, it's just a way of saying, instead of saying, well, it started at a, and then ultimately here's what happened at D you say, no, because of a, then B, then mm-hmm. C, then D. And it's, it's just a matter of how do we walk yourself mentally through so that it's understandable for everyone else to understand exactly what happened during that sequence, which is ultimately just explaining why it is the decision you ultimately had to make. Would yeah. you, would you go as far as explaining why you didn't do something? I would. Yeah, I would, I absolutely. Would, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely yeah. I mean, okay. and at the time it's, and that's what we're talking about articulating is it, you don't think about those things in right. conversation and in regular life. You don't think, well, I turned right over there because I don't like the way that I don't like that neighborhood over there to the left. So I'm right. just going to go the longer way. You, you don't ever verbalize that here. Mm-hmm. Now in 2022, you got to verbalize the things that you meant to do Mm -hmm. and the things you intentionally didn't mean to do because of it. What I think you kind of actually segued in a question that I was, have been pondering for a little bit. We're talking about something, the most, I guess the use of force, but with your experience working in Southern California, Sacramento, and now really the district attorney of Placer County, what are some things that you could reach out to cops across the country that could really keep themselves safe and really help themselves artic- not just articulate, but really up to those points. 
of not just use of force, but leading up to that, what are some things that you can provide that, of your experience that could help these cops? Yeah. And, and one of the best pieces of advice actually came from a defense attorney that I teach a class with in, on teaching investigators how to improve testifying and investigative techniques. And it's this concept that the absence of evidence is evidence. If you don't articulate what occurred during a period of time during the course of your investigation or your traffic stop or your encounter or your use of force, if you don't articulate what was occurring or not occurring, it means those gaps are able to be filled in by anyone, mm -hmm. either a defense attorney in a criminal case. If you don't say why you did or didn't do something in your investigation, the defense attorney can insert whatever they want, right? If you don't prove the absence or existence of a fact, then it's subject to interpretation or speculation. So it kind of goes back to this idea of articulation. If you are doing something, why are you doing it? Right. If this is an investigation, it, are there other roads that or other doors that could have been closed that mm. if you don't close, they're going to drive a truck right through it. Right mm. here. Here is what we're trying to investigate, because what oftentimes what a and I'm not like casting shade on criminal defense attorneys, they're they're critical to our system. But oftentimes their job is to disassemble reasonable doubt. And if there is an explanation that is not provided for. Well, they can offer that explanation as a, well, couldn't this be reasonable too, right? So if there's an avenue of investigation or an avenue of a course of action you could take that you didn't, explain why you didn't, right? If you chose not to investigate something, have a good reason why, or follow it to its logical end so that it can't be speculative. Because oftentimes, especially in like a homicide case, when you're investigating something, there are going to be a whole lot of different leads. And, and oftentimes a common defense is you started with your conclusion and you worked backwards. You formed the opinion that this guy committed the crime and then you worked yourself backwards and every piece of evidence that pointed to this guy, you accepted. And all those that didn't, you ignored. When really it's the opposite. You start with clues and evidence and you work your way towards someone. So everything mm -hmm. you can do to say, I explored this avenue, I did a few things and we were able to shut it down. I kept going and it kept leading towards this guy. And then something else came up. I checked it out. We were able to close that door. And then the defense at the end of the day, if it truly is the guy who did it, has no alternative other than to say, yeah, the, the investigation, the investigator followed the, tr followed the truth. And here we are. Yeah. Well, I think one of, one of the, he, uh, amongst the many points of value that you've provided, I'm not a cop anymore and I, I wish I was, but what I would have taken from this really is when you have an incident or an arrest, regardless of the size, but if it's significant, you really have to take the time. And I remember being a cop, time didn't feel like you had it and you really rushed through stuff and you're like, I'll deal with that later. Right. But it seems like you're saying like, if it's significant, well, really any, but significant, you have got to take that time. It, it, it's true and it's difficult to do because you are, we're in a time where you're tasked with doing more with usually less resources. Mm -hmm. Most agencies right now are behind in their spot. They have vacancies. It's harder to recruit. It's harder to retain people who are at retirement age or retiring early. Just that's sort of the culture right now that has um, sort of pervaded law enforcement, which is unfortunate. And I think we're, I think we're moving in the right direction. I think we're actually turning a corner and society in general is valuing law enforcement yeah. more than it has before. I but, so. but in those instances, to get back to your point in those instances, yeah, you, you need to document more. I mean, it helps with body camera and things like that, but it's not a substitute. You need to, you need to take the time and 
think about the documentation and the presentation of this evidence is as important ultimately in holding someone accountable as is the incident itself when it occurs. And your summation of it, the report is not the afterthought. The report is what ultimately will be whether or not this is a successful outcome to if it's a use of force or a trial on a homicide or whatever, you need to, those details matter. And, and it's hard because we all get rushed and we all, we can do this later, but those details can ultimately be critical in an investigation or any sort of ultimate determination, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, that's like, that's gold right there for, for every cop out there. I don't care if you're in California or not, like that is gold. And you know, not doing something, documenting that as well, why you didn't do what you didn't do and then mm-hmm. why you did what you did. Like those are money. That Bill, you mentioned and, that. and a lot of times in the classes I teach, I'll get questions like, what happens if I made a mistake? What happens if I'm sitting on the witness stand and I realize, oh crap, I didn't do something. That's okay. You're mm-hmm. human. Mm-hmm. And if, and I've had, I've had officers get off the witness stand, grab me in the hallway and say, I got this wrong. I just realized I testified wrong or I just realized I didn't do something I should have. And we've said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to put you back up on the witness stand and I'll put them on the witness stand and say, did you just grab me in the hallway? Yeah. What'd you tell me? I told you I testified to something incorrect and you told me what, what was the correct answer? Yes. Okay. Tell me. And the jurors look at him and say, well, that guy's a human being. Yeah. He made a mistake. He realized it and he owned it. And most of the time, it's not critical to the outcome of the case. It's a detail in the investigation that had you not owned it or had you gotten defensive about it would have destroyed the case. In reality, it's a detail that we work out. And that's my job is in closing argument. And when I wrap up the case to be like, yeah, we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. It's how you handle those mistakes that really dictate the outcome of the case. And I've had yeah. jurors afterwards say, I thought I was so impressed. It was almost, I almost appreciated the fact that the cop made the mistake in the first place. Cause then they got to look even better by owning it yeah. afterward than if they hadn't made it in the first place. And that's okay. Things, these are human endeavors. Things are going to be different. Things are going to be Things are going to change. You're going to remember things differently. That's okay. Just own it. Don't be defensive, right? That's that's really in the in-court part of it. I always say is be professional. Like pe- jurors still look at you as wearing the white hat. They look at you as you're there to help people and to, and to save the day and to f- get us closer to truth. So if defense attorneys or even prosecutors are jerks and pushing you and asking you the same question over and over again, just roll with it. Just remember you're there to present the case. And if that means they got asked four questions when they could have only asked one, well then curse the lawyer afterward. Cause <laughs> yeah. we, you know, Lord knows we all do that, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's one of those, like just get it done, be professional. Don't give anyone a reason to say, well, you saw how he turned on me. Well, imagine what he was like when he wasn't in front of a jury or out on the street with my client. Imagine what a jerk he was there. Nope. This guy, you want the jury to look at you and say, I believe anything that guy says because he's a straight shooter and he owns it when it's a mistake. He did everything he could in his power to get to the truth. He told us what he did. He told us what he didn't do. And he told us why. Boom. And the best way, especially for those who hate testifying. And I always ask officers like, what's your number one goal when you get on the witness stand? And, you know, oh, to tell the truth, whatever I say, no, your number one goal is to get off the witness stand as quick as possible. Right? <laughs> like that's, that's what you want. Yeah, the best way to funny. do that is be prepared, be professional and be clear with your information. And if you're delivering valuable, clear information that you're prepared to deliver, that is damning to the defendant, the defense attorney doesn't want you on that stand, right? right? It's when you're unprepared or if you're defensive where they think, well, I got nothing else going for me. So let's pull at this string and see mm-hmm. if I can rattle them a little bit. And all of a sudden, 
an issue arises where no no issue needed to exist before. And those are just sort of like, you know, tactical tips of be be the consummate professional. Let the jury be looking at you and rolling their eyes, be like, this this lawyer is an idiot, right? Yeah. And you're like, I know, but I just got to get through it. I get, my job is to answer the questions. Yeah, I, I've been unprepared. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and you know when you are, don't you? I've been unprepared. <laughs> we did a whole and, episode on it. <laughs> yeah. Lucky for me, it was an, an expert testimony. So, it, you know, it was pretty much opinion based. <laughs> right. A lot, a lot of it. But uh, and it was a, a prelim. So it's a that's one of the most underestimated, I think, fears. It's a it's a skill. It's something you don't get a lot of practice on. Yeah. It's nerve wracking. You can stumble over your words. You know what the gospel truth is and you get rattled because it's high pressure. I had a, uh, when I was in sex crimes, I had a, a sex assault detective who would give me these investigative binders that were put together even better than homicides. And I thought, I finally asked him one day, I said, how come you give me these unbelievably well-prepared binders that I, no other detective does. And he says, because I'm terrified to testify. And I figured the more work and preparation I put in on the front end, the more likely the defendant will be to plead so that I won't have to testify. Like that was his motivation. And I said, that's fantastic. You can't, you can't be that bad. And then I had him testify and he was horrible. The poor guy was just literally almost not literally almost pooping himself because he was so freaked out. So I said, okay, let's work on this. Took him into a into our conference room at the DA's office. I got all the law clerks in the office. I sat them down as a juror and I said, I'm just going to give you a direct exam on a case, you know, backwards and forwards. He was terrible. We did it a few more times. He got better. <laughs> he was never, ever going to be an A at testifying. Yeah. He was hoping not to be an F. And by the time he retired, he was about a C plus, which yeah. was really good. And <laughs> from where he started, he could get on the stand without vomiting ahead of time, <laughs> deliver the information he would acknowledge and I'd ask him on the stand, Do you, you get nervous testifying? Oh God, more than you know, <laughs> right? Like we would address it and then, okay. I mean, no matter what your weakness is in any, and I believe this in live, whatever your weakness is, work on it and you'll improve. Uh, if that's testifying, work with your DAs. That's what we're there for. We're there to help you testify. And everyone's always afraid, like, well, what if the defense asks, did you talk to the prosecutor ahead of time? Like, of course you did. Yeah. Yeah. It's malpractice if I don't ask you to prepare before yeah. you get on the witness stand. That's okay. Am I going to give you all the answers? No. Am I going to tell you to tell the truth? Yeah. But it's okay. You can yeah. you can prepare that way. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that ultimately makes the case much easier when you're in court, when you've had that sort of relationship or practice with the DA. Yeah. I think a lot of cops get terrified. It's, yeah. it's awful. And DAs are even worse than cops. DAs don't testify that often. Every now and then they do. They're even worse than the wow. worst cops I've ever seen. DAs do not make good witnesses. I think every cop should loosen your vest before you go in. Yeah. <laughs> because the, someone told me that. Training, yeah. The training officer was like, yeah. you got to loosen your vest. And I was like, it's fine. It's like not loose. I've been in foot pursuits. It's fine. I can breathe. And I get up there. I'm like, oh my God, it's too tight. I can't yeah. breathe. I can't breathe. Loosen <laughs> I'd your rather vest. be jumping a fence, grabbing a guy yeah, than sitting in a vest. chair right here. No, it's <laughs> terrible. First time. I think oh. it's also important. Uh, and I, I know you mentioned it and brought it up, but the, I think the biggest thing that I've always said is don't take it personal. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not, I mean, right. some people like the, the defense attorney is sometimes their job is to make you look like an idiot. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what they're trying to do. And if you go up there and you let them make you sound like an idiot, then, you know, you're, you're basically losing or whatever you, you want to say about it. But well, yeah, yeah you just, you just got to go up there and be like, the truth is the truth. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I saw, what I did, yeah. what happened, or right. in some cases, my opinion of, of why it is what it is. Uh, very and, rarely opinion. But. And most of the time, 
you are not the issue in the case. You are either the investigator, you contacted someone, and what they said is the case. And the defense attorney wants to confirm through you what the person said or didn't say, or if that has changed. I mean, in cases where it's resisting arrest or assault on cops, those you are the issue in the case. So if they can damage your credibility, they're going to have to, mm-hmm. that's going to be their defense. But in most of the cases the the experienced defense attorneys recognize you weren't there, right? Yeah. You are simply reporting what you found or what someone said. Mm-hmm. As long as you do that, you don't become an issue. But hmm. you know, those cases where sometimes officers will be like for the fifth time counselor, I told yeah. you and they're like, Oh, Okay, yeah, for the yeah. fifth time, let's make it the eighth and ninth yeah. time. And let's just, let's see <laughs> where this goes. Right. And yeah. it's the, like, well, did you do this? Well, that's not my job. Right. Like, oh, Lord. And I just think here, we're going to be right. here for a while. Here we yeah. go. Right. But it's those, like, get up there, do your job, be prepared, be yeah. professional. And they want you off that stand right. as quickly as And trust your, your district attorney. Because if they ask you, did you do this? Sometimes the answer is just no. And that's yeah, it. Right. And you don't need to explain why you didn't do it or whatever. Let, let, if, if the district attorney thinks that it's important, then they'll come and they'll ask you, why did you not do that? Right. Yeah. And, and then, but don't divulge too much information to be like, no, I didn't do it because this, 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 My, this. And I, get, I get that question a lot with <laughs> what happens with the yes or no answers. If yeah. a, if a defense attorney says, ask you a question and says yes or no. And you say, well, wait a minute, I can't answer that in a yes or no. Then say that. Say, yeah. well, I, I can't really answer that with a yes or no. Right. I, I, judge, answer yes or no. Okay. Well, yes, but I, I'd like to explain. Yeah. No, you can't. Okay. And that's that's that my job then. Yeah. And I come back and say, do you remember earlier you were asked this question? You were asked, Phrase it yes or no. And you said you had an explanation. Mm-hmm. I did. Why don't you go ahead and I'm going to ask you that question. I want you to go ahead and provide that explanation. Exactly. All you're doing, all they're doing is signaling to the jury. There's information we don't want you to know. Right. Uh, and in I a like search it. for the truth, mm-hmm. right. Jurors don't like, that's why oftentimes, especially in preliminary hearings, sometimes in trial, I don't want to object too much because the jury's like, we're here to hear information. Yeah. And especially with a law enforcement witness, if you're given good information, even if the question is somewhat leading or argumentative, I'd rather the jury see the other side sometimes as either a jerk or trying to withhold information. And if I object, then I get seen sometimes yeah. as, well, why doesn't he want us to hear the answer? Yeah. Well, let's say if it's not harmful to the case or if it's something the jury's going to hear anyway, let's get it out. Then we don't look like we are the ones trying to prevent information from getting in front of the jury for them to make their decision. Yeah, chances great, are, great as, especially as a patrol officer, whatever you, you don't know the full story of the case or, you know, usually there was an investigation and, and the DA's office has, has reviewed everything there is to do with it. And you probably haven't to be, yeah. I mean, me, when I, if I go to court, uh, especially when I was in patrol, I'm, I'm reviewing my report. And I'm testifying to what I did. I, I don't care what the uh, homicide detective did. I don't care what CSI did. The coroner did it. You know, some expert came up here and said, I didn't, I didn't care about that. And, you know, the, they'll explain it. Maybe they won't even, you get out there and you say no, and it's just, it's done. And three, three people come up later and then, oh yeah, um, why did that officer do that? Whatever yeah. it is. And that, that reminded me of something that was said earlier in those, like, how can you articulate better you know, those, those details. Oftentimes, if you write, you know, a quick summary of the event, you get your subpoena, you're getting called to testify, you pull your report and you look at that summary. There may be a lot more in there, especially on homicides. I would oftentimes send an email or call the detective and say, watch, watch the interview, 
before you testify because mm-hmm. the defense attorney is going to have watched it and yeah. he's going to be asking all sorts of little details. And mm-hmm. you're going to be operating off your summary that you wrote later that night or the next day when you were tired. Uh, and you included most of it, but there are going to be little details that you might get asked about. And sometimes I'll have transcribed it and said, hey, I'm going to email you over the transcript. Take, do me a favor, read it. I know it's 100 pages, but scroll through it or at least focus on this middle section of the interview because I think that's where the issue is going to be. So read that because oftentimes, especially at a prelim when you're like, look, I just got to read the summary and get in there and get out of there. Um, sometimes the tactics are, well, let's get you in a little mistake here and then you're locked in. And then in trial, I will say in front of a jury, well, that's funny because it prelim, you testified, right? And I want to avoid that pitfall. So I'll say, take a look at your body cam footage before you come in to testify. Mm -hmm. Just take a look because you're going to remember it a lot better having watched that than just reading your summary. I just was on the phone with a DA, a deputy DA on my way here who just had that conversation with me about watching the body cam footage. You know what? Hey, at the end of the day, (laughs) I think it's important for everyone to understand that everyone has a job to do at the table. Defense, the DA, uh, us, everyone, everyone has a job to do. And, and it's just that it, it's a job. And, uh, I like that. Be professional and we're, absolutely. And don't take, it's hard, take especially if you're, if your integrity is getting impugned, it's hard not to take it personally, but for the, you know, the little idiosyncrasies that defense attorneys have asking too many questions, do all that stuff, yeah. just let it go. Yeah. Because literally the jury watches everything and you are the professional. And, and as a cop, I'm sure in the field, you've been challenged on, on more things than that. So, you know, uh, absolutely. The, you know, you have how you guys uh, keep your cool in some situations. Yeah, I don't know. You can keep your cool in you front of a it. bunch of uh, <laughs> dirt bags who potentially have guns and stuff like that. Then you should be able to keep your cool in front of yeah, you know, in a courtroom, a courtroom. Yeah. Right. And guaranteed the jury is losing patience with the defense attorney in this, mm-hmm. in these situations. Yeah. quicker than, than you are. And, and it is, it is noticed. And I, and I'm cognizant of that too. Like, am I asking too many questions? Am I being a jerk? Like, I don't want the jury looking at me that way, but if you're pre- prepared, professional, calm demeanor. And get, if you get a chance to talk to the jury after the fact, if one that it's all done, you know, do that too. Cause I'll sometimes be like, ah, yeah, you know, you, you did it good, but like, I didn't like the way that you never looked at me or, um, you know, you were sitting there, you know, sometimes your posture, whatever, sometimes they'll tell you that and you'd be like, Oh, okay. I could, I could do better. I would have officers in motions to suppress in Mm -hmm. California, 1538. But if a judge is making a call as to suppress a search based on something they think you did or didn't do, I'd say after the hearing, after you get off the witness stand, I'd say, stick around, hang out in the audience. Mm -hmm. If the judge wants to grant a 1538 or a motion to suppress based on what he thinks is something that didn't happen correctly in the search, then one, either listen to it. And maybe you're like, Oh yeah, good. Here's a learning point. I won't do that again. Or maybe the judge is like, you know what? He's here to listen. I, I agree. It was a good search. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you being there for those things is is helpful. It's it's very, edu- I think the whole process of court is very educational, not only in court, but also in investigations and in patrol and, and all your tactics and everything. Yeah, it, it's, it just, it teaches you because if you're a day one cop and you go to your first trial or whatever, you're probably not going to be that good. Yeah, it teaches no, you how to do you, the job you know, and, and you learn from your mistakes. It just, it happens. You're not going to be great. And sometimes you're going to be horrible. Yeah. The, the other the other tip I always point out is don't always assume that the DA knows everything there is to know about the case. I have had homicide cases that were turned, the entire direction of the case turned, and we won because the investigator in the middle of the night called and said, hey, what about this? And I thought, Oh my God, I'd never thought of that. Yeah. Um, I had one where it was a, it was a murder in a 
parking lot. There were 300 people who witnessed. It was in, it was a gang hit. There were 300 witnesses. Guess how many people testified they saw what happened? <laughs> yeah. Zero. No. We proved the case through a couple of drops of blood and a bunch of shell casings, so like hundreds of shell casings. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the detective called me in the middle of the night and he's like, I've been thinking about this one 45 caliber shell casing because it was the one anomaly in a field, in this debris field of trying to piece together shootouts. And he's like, I think, and it happened to corroborate, be corroborated in a very blurry picture of what looked like a, a 45 being stovepiped. And we could, we, could real, we could piece together then that the guy had tried to start shooting. He was one of the bad guys and he jammed it and he tried to clear the weapon and it dropped one spent shell casing. And had he been too proud or thought that I was too much of a jerk to listen to him to be like, well, don't tell me how to try my case. And if he never would have said that, I wouldn't have been able to make the argument I meant that ultimately would have convicted this guy of first degree murder, which is exactly what he did. Wow. Um, and I use that in my class because oftentimes, especially when it comes to the law, officers are like, you know, that, that the DA knows all that. Not necessarily. Like yeah. it, it, we shouldn't portray this type A personality that is not inviting. And I always tell our my investigators, you got an idea. Like maybe I say, you know, I've already thought of that. It's not going to work for this reason. Okay. But tell me because- there have been times where uh, they have saved the case based on their suggestions. And I tell prosecutors that I train, don't project yourself in a know-it-all kind of way that doesn't invite that. Because if you project it, they're going to be like, you know what? I'm not going to deal with that jerk. Yeah. So you need to be able to tell them, hey, if you got ideas on theories of the case or other charges that I didn't think about or anything that deals with our job, speak up. If it's already been handled, it's already been handled, but we need, we need to know that information. So don't be too shy or proud and DAs. If you're listening, don't be, don't be too type a uh, personalities that you're not inviting for that information. Cause it can make a huge difference on a, on a case. Well, I think everything you have said is incredibly valuable for everyone. Well, I hope should, so. Should we take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor and come back and you can talk to us about one of the really interesting cases that you've worked. Absolutely. Love yeah. to. All right, we want to thank our sponsor, TACOPS. Check out SWATConference.org. They have a huge conference in D.C. coming up September 6th through the 9th, where the Shots Fired podcast will actually be there. So if you're going to go to that conference, check us out and hit us up. We'll be there. We'll be there. All right. I, I will not, though. Yeah, Billy no, won't be Billy there. He he's got to work. He's got to work. Yeah. So. But Kyle and I will be there. Yeah, if you guys are going to be there at the conference, check it, check it out and uh, you know, come say hi to us. All right, let's um, let's keep rolling with this. A lot of good yeah. information. Billy, you have a couple good questions. So I, I have a couple questions uh, coming from the law enforcement side. Uh, first of all, like uh, attire, what what should you wear and how should you um, look when you're when you're going to? Is a difference between a prelim and a jury trial? Also, yeah, I, I as long as you look professional, there are times when I prefer suits versus uniforms. If it is a uh, if it's a case where the jury needs to know decisions you made based on gear, it's very helpful for you to be in uniform to say, here's how I looked at the time. Here's the equipment that I had, right? I, here's what I needed to do. Here's why I could or couldn't do something. If it's more of either an investigatory or just the delivery of information, I usually prefer officers in suits or professional business attire just to kind of remove just to remove the seriousness that mm -hmm. the uniform sometimes brings. Uh, that's usually a conversation you should have with your prosecutor right. in case they have a, a, a preference. But generally um, there are times it's helpful, but it, to be in uniform, but I would prefer um, usually a suit just to deliver the information. And for you DAs out there who are listening to this, don't be afraid to be like, wear this, don't right. wear this. 
you know, don't wear a loud color. I don't know what it is. Right. Like, be like, hey, this is what I, you should wear. I would. And if you are coming directly like on duty, like you worked graves and let us know, let mm-hmm. the prosecutors know, because I will do that in front of the jury. Were you working just now? Yeah. How long you been awake? I've been yeah. awake for about 16 hours. Did right. you just come from the field directly into court? Yes, mm-hmm. I did. Now the jury knows. Yeah. That's why your eyes are red and maybe you're yawning. It's not because you're bored. Like, let us know that. And yeah. I will cover that. So the jury will be like, oh, poor yeah. guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, right. Piece like information. Because honestly, yeah. a lot of them don't do that. Right. right. And, and you do tell them and they're just like, I, I think they just kind of gloss over it. But I, I feel like that's important too. You right. know? I've yeah. had, I've had air ops guys who come in in like funky uniforms with weird holsters and stuff. Yeah. Like <laughs> what, what, what's Randy, the, Randy. right. And I just play like I'm a fourth grader. Like, what does all that do? Like, Oh, well yeah, I fly yeah. a helicopter. Like, Oh, okay. Like whatever it is, I will highlight it for the jury so that they understand who you are because they need to know who you are so that they can believe that information a little easier. Mm-hmm. So the entire, the, the other question you had was for, a preliminary hearing or some sort of pretrial hearing where there is no jury, the tendency is like, oh, I can wear whatever. I've had judges who are on the more formal side call out officers like, hey, what's with the cargo shorts and the Hawaiian shirt? Um, you know, so I would err on the side of business attire unless uh, or uniform unless you're instructed. Otherwise, I wouldn't take it less. Um, but do you need a full suit and tie and, you know, your best wedding suit just for a prelim? No, but but be professional. And if, if you can't, that's OK. I mean, I've had officers who have literally been covered in dirt before because they were rolling around on the ground a couple hours beforehand. That's all right. Just let us know. Or especially if it's the, like I've been awake or if there's something that you think might affect your testimony. Um, I've had officers that have come from critical incidents. I've had officers that have been working a, you know, security for a fire scene for Mm -hmm. four days and haven't been home. Okay. In fact, some of that stuff, like the jury needs to know who you are and what you do for a living so that they can evaluate that in context. It's unfair for the jury to hear you in a terrible condition based on what you've been asked to do only to not, not, not believe, but to look at you critically because of that. Let us know. That's our job. Our job is to prepare the jury for the information and the people that they're going to hear from. And it's easy with a couple of questions. You've been up all night. Yeah. What time you working? Uh, You know, those guys that get off graves, they show up for court, they got to testify. And then it gets continued till after lunch. And then they're like, all right, three 45, we start testifying. We're done at five. And you've got a couple hours for your next shift. Like the jury needs to know that so that they can evaluate it in context. Yeah. And, and I, you brought Carter shorts and Hawaiian shirt. If you, if <laughs> did, I, did, I hit a, did I hit a nerve? There's never, there's never, I mean, you should be a civilian witness. You better be undercover. Yeah. I mean, even that. No, I mean, that's no, not even undercover. Yeah. I was going to say, that's terrible. probably nothing. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever wear shorts yeah. to court. I don't care who <laughs> you are. If you're in the, you're in the looking as a witness or and, uh, in the, what did they call it? The, if you're a spectator and don't, don't ever wear, wear and don't ever wear flip flops with jeans <laughs> <laughs> ever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, now it's just getting mean. Uh, it's cutting so, me deep right now. So that <laughs> I, I want to move on to another thing is um, when you're testifying and this is always an awkward thing for me. Um, I think it's an awkward thing for a lot of officers is, is where do you look? And and we're talking, uh, we're talking a jury trial with a prelim. I don't think it really matters, but, um, on a jury trial, are you talking to the juror? Are you talking to the defense? Are you talking to the prosecution? I love that question. Are you talking to the judge sometimes? Cause it's, it's incredibly nerve wracking because the whole experience is, is 
gets your nerves. So my general rule, I can sum this up very easily. Don't be creepy, right? <laughs> if if you're if you're the if you're the the if you're the DA and he's the jury and you ask me what my name is yeah. and I say my name is Morgan Guy, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, well, what is that guy? Yeah. If I'm asking you to deliver information to a jury, if I'm asking you to teach them something, <laughs> mm-hmm. then it's natural to say, okay, so in these situations, what we're trained to do is do this, yeah. this, this, and this. That's a natural time to look to the jury. When I have like DNA experts or professional witnesses whose job it is, is to basically give a lesson. So when I do DNA, it's, can you tell me what DNA stands for? How do you figure out what DNA is and where do you find it? And then they literally turn to the jury and teach a 20 minute class on right. the basics of DNA for you. Generally our exchange is question and answer. So you and I are talking and the jury is observing. It will be natural at times to turn to the jury to explain mm-hmm. do and nothing about testifying feels natural, but as natural as it feels, but don't force yourself to look at them to answer all questions. Cause jurors will be like, what? Why is he looking at us when that guy's asking the questions, right? Like, don't be creepy uh, and and go with it naturally. But generally, look at the DA. There will be times if a judge, a judge might interject a question and then it's creepy to not look at the judge. If you're just looking yeah. at the DA answering his question, you can turn to the judge. And sometimes that's weird because you might be turning your back to the jury. That's okay. It's all sort of natural. Or sometimes there may be times when you were told not to say things. Right. Like in your pretrial motions, they say, don't mention that the guy's on parole or he's on probation. You were doing a probation search because that, you know, we don't want to tell the jury that sometimes circumstances change and you're in this uncomfortable territory where you're being asked a question that you think the answer might reveal information that you were told not to say. And now all of a sudden you're like, "Uh, I don't know how to answer that. If you get one of those questions, turn to the judge and say, judge, may I answer one? You're clear right? Because the judge will tell you, it's okay, you can answer then turn mm-hmm. back and answer. And now most of the time, those are based on motions by the defense to keep information out. And yeah. the jury already thinks there's a ton of other information they never get to hear. Right. And now you've just proved it because you're like, I don't want to break the rules. You told me not to say this. Yeah. The judge will say, no, things have changed. I've had circumstances where officers were disallowed and not able to talk about things and things change immediately on the witness stand. Mm -hmm. Lawyers go up, whisper to the judge, come back. And now I'm asking you something you couldn't say. And I I will probably do it with you. And I'll say, before you came in to testify, I told you there were certain things you couldn't say. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Circumstances have now changed. I want you to tell me what did the defendant say when you first made contact with him, right? Because maybe somebody's opened the door. Mm. Something that was disallowed now uh, has yeah. been allowed. Yeah. I will walk you through it. But when in doubt, if you're not sure if you can answer a question because what you think you might say will reveal information that could cause a mistrial or break a rule that the judge Done said. That. Right. Just no. say, judge, can I answer this question? <laughs> and if the judge doesn't know, he'll say sidebar lawyers and they'll get up there or they'll kick the jury out. They'll figure it out. And then someone, either the DA or the judge will prompt you and say, it's okay. You can answer the question. Right. So, yeah. sorry, I took that. And like a lawyer, I took your one question and answered like four others. That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> that. Crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, oops, don't be afraid to talk to the, the judge sometimes. Right. I've, I've, I've had that, you yeah. know, especially with informants and stuff like that. When, you know, they'll you ask you questions, that, that gray area or that, 
hey, we're getting in an area where danger could be to right. people and stuff. And sometimes judges interject questions. They have yeah. the ability to ant just right. like, hey, well, wait a minute. What happened? And you're like, yeah. judge, I specifically wasn't asking that yeah. question. <laughs> or sometimes judges allow the jurors to ask questions. Well, they say, does anybody have any questions? You get some funky ones. You yeah. get some decent yeah. ones. Sometimes yeah. I've been like, oh, shit, why didn't I ask that question? Yeah. Good, good call, juror number four. Yeah. Um, so just roll with it. Don't you look right job? at the juror that you know <laughs> asked the question. But, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, hey, this has been some like really good information. Um, if you guys aren't getting something out of this, then ah, man, you're you're losing. We're out. trying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, this is some seriously good information for cops everywhere. And and again, you know, citizens who aren't even cops who listen to this show, like there's still a lot of value out of all this. And maybe answer some of the questions that you're thinking, like, why do they do certain things the way they do it? Right. Right. Like you're getting the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, let's wrap it up. I think with uh, an interesting uh, case that you've worked in your career. Um, that you're either a most proud of, um, you know, you know, worked an incredible amount of hours on to, to get to the, you know, to the conviction. Um, yeah. Well, the, conviction. I mean, you yeah. can do that too. Yeah. No, I don't talk yeah. about ones I lose. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, I don't have any. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> any, any, any DA that says they haven't lost a case hasn't tried a tough one. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, there, there, there are so many to choose from. There, there was one in particular where it was a, it was a gang hit. It was a, uh, it was a young uh, guy who was a, he was a pretty prominent guy in a local gang and he, he was causing trouble. And uh, one of his rival gangsters had a couple of friends from out of town that they'd all served time with come into town. And when he was complaining about him, they said, oh, we'll go take care of it. And in the middle, I mentioned it earlier, in the middle of this parking lot, um, they put end up putting about 30 rounds into this guy in, in, in front of about 200 to two to 300 people. Wow. One security guard catches a piece of it as they're shooting the victim. Um, the victim's friend walks out of a nightclub, sees it. He engages in a gunfight with the murderers. So there's a shootout there where two of the defendants are hit and they leave DNA. Um, the guns are dumped, uh, likely in a river on the way back to the Bay Area where they were headed. Um, they dropped off one of their critically injured guys on the doorstep of the med center and took off. Um, and then two of the other guys just went down the road and pretended as if nothing had ever happened. When they got stopped, they said, I don't know what happened. Well, there was a shooting, so we ran. Um, there was very little evidence. The 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 uh, amount of gunfire, and it, it's amazing that only the victim and two of the bad guys were hit because it's amazing. Other people weren't killed. Um, so it took a lot of dedication and just perseverance on the part of our investigators. And I had a great team from, um, our local law enforcement, well, SAC PD. So I'll give them a shout out. Um, it was, it was a great investigation, a difficult case. It forced us to have to, um, think outside the box on a lot of different arguments. Um, and ultimately in a case that, uh, people who were listening to the case said, well, there's four defendants. You're going to um, you're going to convict one of manslaughter. They're going to hang on two and they're going to acquit one of them. We got three on first degree murder wow. uh, and one on a voluntary manslaughter um, that uh, I mean, it was he was guilty of murder, but they felt sorry for him. So it was one that it just took so much collaboration between law enforcement and the DA's office to get the ball over the goal line. It was I was incredibly proud of it. The other one, since I've been the DA of Placer, that was in my time in Sacramento when I was in the gang unit. Um, in Placer County, there was a murder that happened back in um, 
early 2000s. Uh, the defendant was convicted in 2005 of murder. It was a nobody homicide, and it was Christy Wilson was the victim's name. She was a young woman who had gone to the Thunder Valley Casino for the night, um, and she had was last seen with a man named Mario Garcia um, on surveillance footage walking out. I didn't try the case. I was a Sacramento DA when it. I was a new Sacramento DA. I just come back from Riverside when it happened. Um, it was a nobody homicide, which are. You could do a whole podcast just on nobody homicides because mm-hmm. they're incredibly difficult because there is nobody and you have to prove to a jury beyond a reasonable doubt that someone is dead. Uh, and someone, you have to do all the things that show someone is no longer on the planet and didn't just leave or you know wanted to disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, the body was never found. Christy was never found. Um, our office had a very close relationship with... Um, Christie's mom, a woman named Debbie, who has now become an activist for sort of victims' rights and teaches to law enforcement about sort of the dynamics that occur um, from a mom's perspective when there is there is no body. Um, the defendant was ultimately convicted. He there was a little bit of DNA found in the car and a hair from Christie in the car. He was injured the next day. His story didn't add up. There was enough evidence to convict him beyond a reasonable doubt. He was sentenced to prison. And then in 2020, shortly after I got there, I I was made aware that the defendant had been writing letters to the DA's office trying to negotiate um, the location of her remains in exchange for either a lesser sentence or um, some sort of conviction review. And I had a conversation mm-hmm. with Debbie and said, I'm, I'm not really up for this. I'm just going to write him a letter that says, there's one last remaining thing that you can do to prove you're still a human being, and that's give up the remains. Uh, and if you don't care to do that, then you got no business writing the writing back. And and Debbie said, I absolutely agree. So let's do that. Um, and then we decided we'd keep looking for her. Um, so our investigator, an investigator from the sheriff's office, um, enlisted a ground penetrating radar technician to map out the property of the defendant, which was one of the most likely areas where we thought she was. This was a case that really the community was involved in because uh, it was just one of those a young girl just goes missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those like scary, you know, her boyfriend at the time, they had a somewhat of a volatile relationship. He was a suspect and this poor guy, everyone assumed it was him right out of the gate. So yeah. there were those dynamics. Um, and ultimately the defendant lived on a, on a several acres, about six acres of property in, in Placer County. So we figured out the most likely area for where it was, where she would likely be based on sort of new information that his family had divulged about construction he'd done at the time. The ground penetrating radar uh, technician mapped out the area, found a couple of locations. There were eight sections that he said are likely have these anomalies underground. Uh, and it was the third section with the the backhoe operator that we had hired to, to dig, pulled the dirt back and, and found her femur. Um, so we called in the CSI team, they excavated the body. We had anthropologists there because we had to rule out that these were Native American remains. Um, we found out that it was um, likely a young, sort of 19-year, late teens, early 20s female. So wow. we knew um, she wasn't that, she was only about a foot and a half deep. So we knew, okay, this is probably her. And the most touching part was that the investigators that had such a close relationship with the mom, two weeks before the investigators Debbie and myself were teaching a homicide class. And one of the investigators in the class asked a question and said, if they ever found your daughter, how would you want to be notified? And she said, you know, I've never actually thought about that, but I I couldn't 
ever imagine hearing over the phone. And she lived in Arizona and this was in California. And she said, I would want, I would want to be told in person. Absolutely. Um, and so that day we hadn't told her that we were doing the, the dig because there had been a lot of other sort of false starts on leads that didn't pan out. And we didn't want to get her hopes up if it wasn't going to lead yeah. to anything. So we didn't divulge in advance. We were trying to keep it you know, confidential so that the media didn't follow our every move. And when they found her, the investigators are literally in the hole with Christie's remains. This, this case they've been working on for 15 years, they're emotionally invested in, they have a close relationship with the mom. And I said, it's now four in the afternoon. She's in Arizona. And I said, you got to get on a plane. You guys got to get out of there and you got to go. You got to go tell her because at some point the media is going to find out and she needs to know. And they said, we don't want to leave her. I mean, they were so you know, they've been looking forever. They had lived through this case yeah. and they're like, we don't want to leave. And I, the, the only time I've had to order any of my investigators to do anything, I'm like, I am ordering you to get out of Like, I know I get what you want to do. You want to yeah. stay here and see this through. You got to get on a plane because you got to attend to the living right now. You got to go. So they, and one of them didn't fly. And I'm like, well, then you can take a horse tranquilizer for all I care. <laughs> you ain't got time to drive. So get on the plane. You're flying. Uh, you're flying. So they, they got on, they hopped out. They got on the next plane. They flew to Arizona. By the time they were able to get on a flight, get a rental car and drive to the house, it was midnight. They knocked on the door. Uh, her husband, Pat, is a retired San Jose PD, longtime robbery homicide oh, wow. investigator. Wow. He sees him at the door and he immediately knows like, okay. Um, so he says, Debbie, come here. And she answers and she almost passes out because she says, wait a minute, you're here. You found her. And they said, we found her. Um, I have chills. So we flew, we flew her out um, so that she could come home. She had another daughter in San Jose. So they reconnected and came up and then, um, so the sheriff's office, our office, and the family got in a conference room and we said, you know, the, the community really, they're riveted. They want to know. They want to hear from you. Um, you have been empowered by this tragedy. You've turned it into action and you now teach about these and yeah. you, you provide relief. So if you're okay, we'll do whatever you want to do. You want to do a press conference? We'll do a press conference. You don't want to do anything? We won't do anything, but it's up to you. And she said, no, I want to talk to the community about it. So we did a press conference where she got up there and talked about kind of the whole process and that, you know, it was a message to people in the same situation that had people missing. It was a message to investigators because it was kind of thinking outside the box. It was, I mean, from my perspective, the case was over legally. It, it made no consequence that we found her. It doesn't do anything to his conviction, mm -hmm. um, yeah. but to the family, to the investigators, to other investigators. And one of the, one of the biggest things that came about was getting contacted from other law enforcement agencies saying, how did you get, how did you think about that? What else? Here's our case. What can we do? So it gave hope to investigators on cold cases who had thought they'd run out of options. It had given hope to some families that thought my loved one's never going to be found. So it was really, I mean, it was a bright spot in this ultimate overall tragedy. Um, and the other sort of conclusion to it was the investigators, they wanted to go back down there and tell him. And he was a narcissist. All he wanted was he would, he engaged in a letter campaign early on with the mom saying, you know, I didn't do this and it was an accident. Uh, you know, if they do something for me, I could tell you where it is. I mean, just this torturous yeah, yeah, this, relationship. This is, yeah. And I, terrible. Uh, so I told them, I said, no, you can't go down there because all this guy wants is to feel important and mm -hmm. have a moment. And the best thing we can do 
is have him hear it third hand yeah. three days later from his cellmate once the news is already broken because he, all he wants is a moment and the only thing we have left to deprive of him is not a moment yeah. so That's a don't I said I know I, I know what you want to do I can picture it you want to go down there and bring him in and be like aha mm-hmm. let's let him just end that's exactly what happened he ended up well I, I won't say I won't make a comment he died a few months later in prison um, and he went probably to his grave thinking, how the hell did they ultimately find her? That's so awesome. it was, it yeah. was, it was a great conclusion to a case that, I mean, the prosecutor had done a hell of a job back in 05 trying a nobody homicide. That was very difficult, but it was one of those, like, you know, we try dozens and dozens of murder cases all the time. And this one had that moment of redemption that, allowed hope for everybody along the way. Um, so the investigators go out and talk about the case and it, it provides that like, okay, what else can we think about? Cause it was ground penetrating radar. They use it for construction. I mean, it hadn't really been used forensically before and it was a very novel, interesting way to do it. It's been used in a few high profile cases since. Um, and it was just one of those like, okay, it's thinking outside the box. We had to yeah. kind of figure out, all right, we got these resources, let's put them here. So that one was another one that, that I'll never forget. Yeah, I, wow. I do remember when that happened, when she went missing. And I tell you what, that's the first I've heard that story. And that is that is an awesome story. I, yeah. I, if I'm you and your team, I'd hang my hat on that. I'd be proud, oh, yeah. I'd be proud no, of I, that. I did the least. It was it was uh, the incredible work of some investigators and our law enforcement partners. But I was just the fortunate team. to be in the seat at the time. Yeah, that is really cool. That is an awesome story. So, Morgan, thank you so much for coming in oh, here. My Honestly, pleasure. I learned a lot just from sitting here listening to you for the past hour. I know a lot of other people listening to the show, watching it on YouTube, got a lot out of it. Thank you to all of our subscribers and everybody that listens and tunes into the show. That was a great episode. Thank yes. you for giving me the opportunity I to be really, here. Really I, I believe you. in the mission of what you're doing, education and talking about these issues will make us all better. We're all on the same team and we're just trying to trying to bring justice home for people that deserve it. And and uh, I'm going to call you out. Shout out to uh, Mark from a local agency around here who caught wind that you were here, shot me a text and said that uh, you're a great guy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> this is the first we've met. And I, I couldn't agree with, uh, agree with him more. So Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. And, this is awesome. uh, and my pleasure to be here anytime. Yeah, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you. And really, I can't even think of the word, but for you to carve out time in your absolute busy schedule of serving a massive community in Placer County to come here and spend time with us to educate people across the country. It's absolutely the world. So much valuable. Yeah. So much value in it. So thank you for uh, taking it. It's a privilege for us to have you here as a guest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If I can help. Help one person try and uh, navigate their their career a little better than mission accomplished. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to everyone subscribing. Please, if you want to help the channel out, make sure you subscribe and pass this on to anybody that you feel that might get value out of it. And we'll uh, see you guys on the next one. See you. See you.